The Lord be with you. Welcome to Emmanuel this morning for worship, and welcome to this day in particular, where I am also departing. It is a privilege to serve in this place and to be here today, and as it has been for the last 11 years, so I'm grateful for that. Today, we also have some friends from my past who are with us to help us lead music, uh, Heather and Brian and Sue and George, who you all know because he's been here. Sue has been here also, and you've seen Heather and Brian in, in a few recordings that we uh, showed during COVID. And so, but we work together in worship at uh, University Presbyterian, and they consented and said yes to my invitation to be here today to celebrate this last day with me. So I am grateful that you are here and thank you. I want to give an expression of gratitude about yesterday's celebration. It was just pure joy to be the recipient of your good wishes. And Marianne and I both said, I feel like they know me. and that feels really good, even if it might be some of the dark stuff. Uh, and I'm not talking about Marianne there either. But, uh, um, but we both walked away with that. And I, I want to also just, it's impossible to say thanks to everyone. And I'm trying to say thank you when I have individual conversations with you. But I want to give one very public expression of gratitude to a person who's been extremely important in my life as a pastor here during the last two years, really since really a little more than that, since we started to come out of COVID. And that's Susan Sprague. Thanks, Susan. Um, Susan, you have been an incredible gift to me and to this church in moving into areas that have been needing someone to attend to and joyfully and calmly just kind of walking through what we've dealt with over these years. And so thank you so much for that. And uh, God bless you as you continue to be our clerk of session and all of the other things that seem to get dumped on you (laughs) because of that role. So I have one one announcement. Oh, oh, yeah, my Marianne's going and my sister's going. So which which one of you do I obey? (laughs) Such things are too high. Who can attain them? So I'll navigate between them and just say thank you for being here, family. Uh, They flew up. They flew up just for this day. And anyway, I'm I'm really grateful. Anyway, so Marianne, that'll be the last one of these today. (laughs) But thank you. She knows me well. So this Wednesday night is Ash Wednesday. I will not be there. Adrian Schlosser Hall and Christina and George will be leading in that service, uh, seven o'clock Wednesday night here at the church. And that's a great segue into just the notation that Ash Wednesday began what I call my year of lasts last year, that 
It was the time where I had kind of put together in, in answer to the question that I feel like God gave me six months before. So if you had only one year left to preach, what would you want to preach about? And so I answered that invitation and put together a year of sermons that started with Romans 8 during Lent, and we covered that chapter in eight weeks. And it ends today with Isaiah 55, which is the last chapter of the series that we started in Advent called Tidings of Comfort and Joy. And I just want to say to you that Romans 8 and Isaiah 55 are, in my mind, those passages, as I said to you when I preached through Romans 8, that Romans 8 and, and Isaiah 55 are what I call desert island passages. They are the passages in my mind that if you were going to be without a Bible and stranded on a desert island, you would want access to at least these two passages because they are such a complete and wonderful and poetic and deep expression of what it means to be on the journey of faith. And so we end today with Isaiah 55, and you can see that the service is completely drawn from Isaiah 55, and we're basically going through what would be called a litany of word and song in that we, I'm going to read a text from Isaiah 55, and then we're going to sing a song about it, and that's going to happen four or five times, I can't remember which, and, um, and then I'm going to say something about the text and pray, and then our friends are going to sing for us, and I'm going to do the benediction, and that's going to be today's service. So I just invite you to savor this text, to have this opportunity to listen to these ancient words that were both way ahead of their time in some ways and also fully rooted in it in their time, and just to enjoy that because uh, it Isaiah 55, as you will see, offers an outline for a typical order of worship that we would have here. And so just enjoy that. And with that, let me read our first text. And I'll invite you to just stay seated for the first song. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast and sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Just stand, please. <laughs> Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So for the last few weeks in this series on Isaiah 40 to 55, we've been looking at a series of opposites that I think are in these chapters that characterize the journey of faith. And today I deliberately chose not to have those opposites as my title, but to have the text from Isaiah 55 as my title, Go Out in Joy. As I thought about it, I thought that if I was going to continue with that sort of juxtaposition of, of opposites, that, uh, that interplay between opposites that's throughout this section of scripture, I realized that we could continue those titles. And if we did, it would be the combination of anger and what I feel is its opposite, which is joy. Anger is the most accessible emotion for many of us. At least it is for me. Um, it's the one that seems to be the best wires are hooked up uh, between that, that sense of anger and, and any stimulus that, that might occasion it. But anger is accessible because it's that awareness that something is not right and usually it happens when we feel we have been wrong. It's a way that we access adrenaline, if you will, and the adrenaline that we need when we need to fight that wrong. 
And it's a thing we direct at either a person or an event often that we blame for that wrong. And it's an energy that leads us to believe that we have the right to do something in the way of retaliation, the right to do something to right the wrong that ultimately means committing a wrong ourselves. <laughs> and when you contrast that with joy, on the other hand, it, joy is not something as in your face as, as anger is. Joy is extremely subtle. As C.S. Lewis says, it's usually something that sneaks up on us, something that surprises us. And his own memoir of his journey of faith is called Surprised by Joy. Joy grows out of a, a deep and abiding sense that all is well, that things are right, that we are in exactly the right place at the right time, that even when evidence would suggest that we should be angry, we somehow are able to access and live in this joy. We've seen that in several places in Scripture over the last year. Paul in prison in Philippians, who at the end of that phenomenal letter says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be seen by all the Lord is near and here is this passage being written by one who's in a Roman jail and and essentially anticipating his own death or it's in the book of Habakkuk that we looked at in the fall as well where Habakkuk says though the fruit trees do not blossom and there is no fruit on the vine though all agricultural benefits are cut off essentially yet I will rejoice in the Lord Joy isn't necessarily being happy. Joy is that deep and abiding sense. It's the thing that, that Jeremiah has when he says, in spite of what is causing him to pray this prayer, he wants to reject God, but he says, ultimately, I can't do that. If I, if I try to do that, there is, as it were, a fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I, I cannot. That's joy. And it comes at a time when sometimes we least expect it. And it comes because of that awareness that irrespective of our circumstances, the Lord is near. So as I've said more than once, Isaiah 40 to 55 was preached by the prophet in the context of the ending days of the exile. And there were plenty of reasons for Israel to be angry, and indeed they were. We need only the record of it in Psalm 137, where the psalmist has enshrined for us anger in a way that is probably one of the most poignant when it says, blessed is the one who takes your infants and dashes their heads against the rock. That's anger. But Isaiah 40 to 55, in the face of all of that anger, begins with a word or an invitation to rest in God's comfort and ends with an invitation to sing a song of joy. 
It's kind of like the fourth movement of, of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, where there's all this angst all the way through that symphony. It's wonderful. It's stirring. And yet at the end, you've got this explosion of, of the ode to joy that Beethoven sets Schiller's poetry to music. And it's, it's beautiful. And we know it. And we just sang the tune not too long ago. In joyful, joyful, we adore thee. So Isaiah 55 is a final movement of this section of passages that erupts with joy. And, and it calls us away from the lies that fuel our anger and keeps pointing us again and again and again to the truth that can foster joy. And I think there's a series of invitations to joy in, in this passage. In verses 1 through 3, I think that first invitation is eat up. Enjoy the meal. There's more where this came from, and you will always have plenty. And what's more, it's free. And I'm not talking about free like the chair getting wet on the side of the road with a sign on it. <laughs> I'm talking about a lavish banquet table that's free. And that's what the prophet really invites us to behold. You don't have to pay for this meal. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to sit through the sermon in order to get it, like at some gospel missions. Here's the food. Take it. It's yours. It's free, and there's plenty more to come because as the Psalms also say, I will feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I'll satisfy you. There's a lot. But there's a lie that this counters and it's the lie that's often given in religion and certainly has since religion has existed. It's the lie that you have to earn this favor of God. That this one who created you and said it is good somehow needs to be reinformed as to that truth and that the only way that that can happen is through our striving that we have to strive to prove ourselves and prove our worth but what the text says is no i've, I've got an everlasting covenant i made you for something and that's still true irrespective of your stupidity that landed you here in exile i've still got something for you and I'm still offering it. It's an everlasting covenant. It is God's desire for relationship with creation. And that has been true from the beginning. So the first invitation is eat up. Enjoy the meal. The second invitation is zoom out, verses 4 and 5. Because the powers that oppress you, the sowers of your seed of anger, will not have the last word. Zoom out and take in a bigger picture that's bigger than the nations who are oppressing you or making you fear. Because these nations are not God. God is God. And the lie of your oppressor is that they are in charge of you and they are not. But the picture is much bigger than the one that your oppressors are painting. Nations are, as Isaiah says earlier, just a drop in from the bucket compared to the greater story 
of God's redemption. If we study history, you know, yes, the the Roman Empire lasted for hundreds of years. Yes, Hitler wanted to establish a thousand year Reich and succeeded in about, what, 30 years? There's a time signature on the power and the oppression of nations. And any leader, any nation can expect that their time will run out. And that's what Isaiah is telling us as well, that the nations are a drop from the bucket and their weakness is exposed by the light of God's endurance and God's love. So eat up, zoom out, and then the third invitation, seek me, says God. It's really the precursor to Jesus' primary invitations. You know, when Jesus encountered his disciples, he didn't say, here are the criteria for being a part of my number. If you can sign this 10-page document and make sure that you abide by it, you can come on along. He started out simply with follow me, come and see, hang out with me, abide with me. Let's just be on this journey and let's let it show you what maybe you haven't yet seen. So hang out and abide. The heart of the journey of faith is the decision, first and foremost and completely, to do nothing more and nothing less than be in relationship with the one we're following and to grow in our knowledge of God because we've made that choice. And so to be watching along the way for what we might learn that we would not learn if we were not on the journey. And here's the lie of religion. The lie of religion is that we can figure God out, reduce God to our idols, or to our set of particular theological propositions, and forget that it is mystery that fuels all relationship. The moment you've got the other figured out is the moment that you start building contempt or a certainty that's more about you than about the one you say you know. We forget that it's mystery that fuels relationship because we are always learning more and more and more about God and we never come to the bottom of that. That's why Paul says things like, you might have the power to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth to take all dimensions and even things that transcend dimension and know that you will never fully comprehend the completeness of God's love, but you will always be in the state of comprehending it. And it's good to remember, my ways are not your ways, and your ways are not my ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. And we can really say that about all of us. That line, what's obvious to you is obvious to you that we've heard, <laughs> says kind of the same thing. And so God says, seek me, but you won't ever fully comprehend me. You are in my embrace, and yet I am also always just beyond your grasp. 
And then the next invitation, trust me. Trust me because I'll do what I say. I'm the one who said at creation, let there be, and there was, and it was good. I'll keep my promise, and the promise is, is that my word effects what I send it to do. The ongoing processes that were set in motion at, at creation will continue, is what God is saying here through the prophet. The metaphors of soil and seed and rain and sun are what he uses to communicate it, but that those things, those simple things, give witness to the faithfulness of God. Those simple things that we can trust in and not fully understand. You know, Jesus himself does this. He talks a lot about seeds, friends. You know, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Seeds are important because they tell us a truth that we cannot see until we see it. <laughs> and that's when it pops up above the ground. But the lie of religion is that we must have the big event, not the subtlety of the seed falling into the ground and dying, not the subtlety of the seed germinating and sprouting, but that we must always need the big event. In fact, the sprout is not enough when it comes above the soil. We need a massive tree. We were talking about the Super Bowl in the car on the way over here today, and Las Vegas is the place that is dedicated to giving you the massive tree. <laughs> but as the story of Elijah tells us, it's not in the earthquake, it's not in the fire, it's not in the wind, but it's in the voice of sheer silence that Elijah comes to the mouth of that cave and starts paying attention to something that none of those other events seem to grab. And the sound of silence can often tell us much more than the big event. And then finally is the invitation to rejoice. And what the prophet is saying is that joy and peace can actually boundary your life. It's possible. And deprivation is never the last word. The fuel and the fruit of this relationship that the prophet is inviting his people to is joy. And the lie that counters this is the lie that deprivation is the last word. As Hobbes said that life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short, so watch your back. <laughs> Create good boundaries, and you'll be okay. Sometimes religion's dedicated to the same sort of thing, that deprivation is what motivates your spiritual life as well. And the religious version of this life is that the fear of hell is what scares us into righteousness. It's really fun to have a relationship with someone who's afraid of you, isn't it? <laughs> Do you think that's why God created us? For that kind of relationship? The scriptures certainly don't attest to that. 
Some of God's servants have attested to that. But for the most part, the picture that we have in the scriptures is of the God who keeps pursuing us and keeps offering the same thing that he's been offering since the foundation of time. And the materialist or the economic version of this lie is that the fear of poverty is what motivates us to seek more and more and more so that we will have enough and can avoid poverty. But somehow those at the upper 1% still don't have enough, do they? Are they still being motivated by that fear? I don't know. But what both of these lies fail to do is give us peace and joy. And peace and joy are flip sides of the same coin, really. Joy and peace grow out of the assurance that there's something in the threats of this world that cannot be touched when peace and joy are present. It's saying what Isaiah says, that the briars and the thorns are not the last word, and that the way we walk on will be a clear path in the cool shade of the myrtles and the cypresses. So what the prophet is talking about is the possibility of joy, and that's something wonderful to behold. And even more wonderful to behold is joy irrespective of circumstances. And this is what empowers us to stay the course, is that promise in particular. It empowers us to stay the course and to press on, as Paul says, or to run the race with endurance, as the writer of Hebrews says, because of joy. And joy is something that, although it's hard to define, we know it when we've got it. And so let me just give you a few pictures. And I encourage you to create your own pictures. For Jane Austen fans, <laughs> joy is the smile and chuckle of Mr. Bennett when Lizzie tells him that she loves Mr. Darcy and she knows Mr. Darcy loves her. Joy is the Labrador retriever emerging from the water, dripping wet, with a ball in her mouth, with her tail wagging and spraying everyone around her, <laughs> and celebrating the victory of having retrieved the thing that you just threw for her. Joy is that quiet moment that seems to take us into eternity at the sunrise or the sunset when the skies explode with color and seem to turn gray or bright almost immediately. We can't hold on to it, but we definitely know that in that moment we were a part of something bigger than ourselves. Joy is that deep and abiding sense that we are just where we need to be and that things are exactly as they should be. And even though we can't bottle it and save up enough of it, we can welcome it when it comes and let it pass in the confidence that 
we will have another encounter with the author of it further down the road. And so, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. For instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And that shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. Lord, as we face invitations to despair in our daily lives, help us to hear and respond to your invitation. Save us from stunted imaginations that cannot see beyond the limits of our own awareness. And draw our attention to those things that are bigger than we could ever ask for or even imagine. And then send us out as people who understand that what we have is the privilege of reflecting this to our world. For all of this, we pray in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. what I'm going to say. <laughs> Go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Let the mountains <clears throat> and the hills break forth before you in singing, and let the trees of the fields clap their hands. For the great shepherd of the sheep goes before us, and the Lord of hosts is our rear guard. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you.